Thanks very much for having me this morning, even if it did take a bit of swimming to get here. It's, uh, it's a real privilege to be here this morning. How about I, uh, I start off by praying? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that it is a privilege to meet together, to read your word and to listen to your voice. Father, this morning as I speak and as we think about what uh, you have to say to us from Philippians 3, we pray that we would have attentive hearts. And we pray that through this morning, we would love Jesus more. Well, have you ever gotten something totally wrong? I think all of us have at, at some point. Uh, the time that comes to mind for me is when I was uh, a kid in primary school. We went away on a farm stay with my family and my cousins. Uh, and I don't think I'd had much experience with farms before, and particularly with electric fences. Uh, and so, in my mind, an electric fence, that's a high-voltage power line. That, that was what I was thinking back then when I was on this farm stay. And there did happen to be an electric fence at this farm. And uh, now somehow, I, I don't know how it happened, but somehow I did get zapped by this fence. And, you know, electric fences, they're there to tell the animals, okay, don't come any closer. They're not there to electrocute the animals. But to me, when that happened, when I got zapped, I went running to mum and dad saying, I've been electrocuted, I've been electrocuted. I, I thought I was lucky to be alive. <laughs> now, we all get things wrong at times. And for me, I was glad that I got that wrong, that it wasn't actually going to kill me. Uh, but do you think we might ever get religion wrong. In our passage today, Paul writes to make sure that the Philippians get religion right. Uh, he talks about a big mistake that people make when it comes to religion, and he talks about the corrective that we actually all need to hear. Uh, and they're actually the two big headings on your outline, so make sure you've got them there so you can follow along. Firstly, being religious can never get you to God. We miss out on true religion if we think it's all about being religious in the way that people often think about it. And then secondly, we'll see that the key to true religion is actually about knowing Christ. All right, that's where we're headed this morning. So let's dive in. All right, point one, being religious can never get you to God. And have a look at verse two. See, Paul has some strong words at the start of the chapter. Take a look at his warning in verse two. Verse two. Watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, last year, my grandmother was attacked by a dog. Now, she's okay, but it turns out the neighbor's dog isn't so friendly when it's off the leash. Dogs can be scary. They're not all clean, lovable Mr. Fluffles or something, right? They, they, they can be scary. When, when Paul warns the Philippians here, he's not saying, keep an eye out for big, fluffy Samoids so that you can send me a photo. No, he's saying, watch out for these dogs that might attack you. He's saying, watch out for this pack of dirty animals. And who are they? Who are these dogs, these evildoers? Well, it seems it's people who are wrongly claiming that they are the true people of God. It seems that they're people who are saying to the Philippian Christians, no, sorry, you're not really true people of God. Have a look at verse 3. Verse 3. For it is we, Paul says, who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, after warning about these dogs, after warning about these evildoers, Paul says that the Philippians, they are the true people of God. It is we who are the circumcision, he says. And remember the circumcision? Well, in the Old Testament, what was the sign that you belonged to the people of God? It was circumcision. God promised to Abraham that he would be his God and the God of his descendants. 
and he gave Abraham a sign. He said, look, your people, as a sign that they belong to me, are going to be circumcised. That's the symbol. And yet here, Paul says, we are the circumcision. It's no longer just the Israelites. It's no longer the Jewish people who are counted as God's people. It's not simply those who have the physical sign of circumcision. No, Paul says, we are the circumcision. It's those who serve God by His Spirit who are the people of God. Those who boast in Christ Jesus. Those who are Christian who are God's people. It's us here if we boast in Jesus. If we put no confidence in the flesh, but instead put our confidence in Him, if we trust Jesus, well then we are the true people of God. And we shouldn't take that for granted. You see, Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, he knows that people will try to tell them that they're not actually God's people. Uh, in Paul's day, there were some people going around who claimed to be Christian, who actually said, no, it's not about Jesus that you need to believe in. It's not just about him that you need to believe in to be a, a Christian. No, actually, you've got to kind of do all these Jewish things as well. And so in Paul's day, uh, there were people going around saying, well, it doesn't count believing in Jesus if you're not also circumcised. If you're not also keeping the right festivals, if you're not also eating the right foods. And he says, if you're not doing those things, well then, you're just filthy, uncircumcised dogs. That's what the false teachers were saying. You're just evildoers. But Paul says, no. In fact, they're the dogs. They're the evildoers. They're the mutilators. Paul throws the labels back in their face. They've gotten it totally wrong. In fact... How dare they accuse Christians of not being God's people? And people still try to do it today, don't they? Christians aren't the good people in society anymore. No, quite the opposite. We're told that we're not good. As we stand up for what is actually right and good and what God says, well, people say, nah, God wouldn't want that. Nah, that, 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 no, that's evil. Now, God, the God I know is all about love. How could you say that you're a Christian and that you follow Him and believe in Him if, if you're not loving? See, whether it's the same-sex marriage debate or abortion or, or whatever the contemporary issue is, our Christian morality will rub up against the world. And as it does, well, we're told that we're not really good, that we're not really godly, that we're not really God's people. But then hear what Paul says. No. It is we who are the true people of God. It is us if we trust in Jesus, if we serve God by His Spirit, if we boast in Christ, if we put no confidence in the flesh. It's us who are the true people of God. And, and as Paul writes this, it seems that he, he kind of notices some irony. See, uh, the true people of God put no confidence in the flesh, and yet Paul, well, he's got more reason to do that than anyone. And so have a look at verse 4. Verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. It's not about worldly, fleshly credentials, Paul says. But if it was, well, I'd be winning. 
See, Paul can beat them at their own game. He ticks all the right boxes. He's circumcised at the right time. He's from the right nation. He's privileged. He's, he's got the right pedigree. And more than just his heritage, well, it's his lifestyle. It's his zeal. It's his defense of the faith. And morally, well, he's faultless, he says. No one could go toe-to-toe with Paul and come out on top. Whatever they thought might have commended them to God, well, surely Paul did better. It's kind of like if I was to come up against Morse, right? In some big epic showdown. And being the muscular guy that I obviously am, I decide an arm wrestle is the way to go. Now, he's going to wipe the floor with me. But then if I find out that it's actually a guitar battle, well, I've got even less chance. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know which end to hold. These Judaizers thought that they, were put, they, that they could put their confidence in their Jewish status or their law-keeping, but they've got no idea. They've put their confidence in the wrong things. Even Paul, who had more reason for confidence than any of them, Even he doesn't trust in the things that he could put his confidence in. What do we put our confidence in? The answer should be Christ. But is that the true answer for us? The world around us puts its confidence in so many things, and as we live in the world, it's so easy for us to start to do the same. So we feel secure because, well, we're confident in our resume or in our insurance or because we have that liquid power sitting in our bank account. Or if we're only a little more pious, well, maybe we we put our confidence in the fact that we go to church at least once every few weeks. Or we live a a good life or we have a, a Christian family or whatever else it is that makes us seem like religious people. In fact, in our sin, we can even start to put our confidence in our own godliness. The thing is, brothers and sisters, none of that counts for getting you to God. None of that's going to get you there, whether it's being religious or not. Whatever credentials you trust in, it can't get you to God. It's just not going to do it. Instead, we need the attitude of Paul. It's there in verse 7. Have a a look down at verse 7. Verse 7, But whatever were gains to me... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. See, being religious can never get you to God. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing good things, although you should do those good things and you should go to church. You should read your Bible. But those things aren't going to get you to God. No, instead, true religion is about knowing Christ. True religion is about knowing Christ. Take a look at it again in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And then verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. In the face of that impressive list that Paul could put his confidence in, what does he say? Well, he says, I consider them a loss. I consider them forfeit for the sake of Christ. And and did you notice, it's not just his advantages that Paul seizes here. It's not just those those good status things that he talked about before. No, it's everything. 
everything Paul has, everything Paul is, everything that anyone could have, Paul considers a loss compared to knowing Christ. Wow. I was challenged by that this week, thinking about whether or not that's my attitude to knowing Christ. Christ is worth it all. Uh, Do you remember the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God in in Matthew? Matthew 13. Let Let me read them to you. It's about the pearl and the treasure. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl, just one, of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, if we know someone who'd done that, we'd rightly think that they'd gone crazy. (laughs) Old Bill has finally gone nuts, right? He's he's cracked it. Uh, It's worse than selling the family cow for some magic beans. This, This is crazy. But that's because no treasure in this world is worth the rest of the world. We just can't fathom this kind of relationship. And yet knowing Jesus is. This is why I just love talking to new Christians. Uh, For one thing, it's great talking to a new Christian just to hear about how they've come to faith and that they're now a brother or a sister. That's fantastic. But also, if someone has just come to faith in Christ, well, they get this, don't they? They literally have given up their old way of life because they've seen that Jesus is is worth more. They've already made that exchange. They know that Jesus is just so precious. So they've forfeited the old way that they used to live for the sake of knowing Christ. And for some, well, sure, it may have been a more costly decision than for others, but Jesus is worth it. And well, for Paul... This isn't theoretical, is it? Uh, Sure, uh, he says that he counts it all as nothing, but actually, he's had to put that into practice. Paul has actually lost it all. That's what he says in verse 8. He's given up his Jewish standing and reputation. He's given up all those things he used to be proud of, and now he's imprisoned. He literally has lost even his freedom. But he didn't just grudgingly give They weren't just taken away from him. He doesn't even want them anyway. (laughs) Those things that he used to be so proud of, to him, he wants nothing to do with them. He considers them garbage in verse 8, scum. All the advantages that you could name, to him, they're just the stuff you flush down the toilet. It's that worthless. Paul's perspective has totally changed. It's done that U-turn that we were singing about just before. He doesn't just give things up as if that was easy enough in the first place. No, he doesn't even miss them now. He's no longer secretly proud of those old advantages that he used to have. He doesn't dwell longingly on the past and remember the golden days when he used to not be in prison and he could you know, live how he used to love. No, to him, those days are rubbish now. And that's what all of our testimonies should be like as Christians, isn't it? But when we tell people about how we've come to know Christ and how we live for Him, we don't talk longingly about the days when we used to live how we wanted or when we used to have so much and now, well, had to give it up for Jesus. That's not the right attitude. No, we're we're so excited about knowing Christ. We we can't hold it in. 
we don't want those things anymore. We, we have Christ. What could all that other stuff give to us? How could that compare to the worth of knowing Jesus? Well, it doesn't. In fact, I hope this is what all of your conversations are like. Uh, sure, go and talk about the movie you watched last week or maybe talk about what the kids are up to, but in the end, we're not excited and more excited, in fact, talking about Jesus. Then there's something wrong, isn't there? Will we have really understood how good and how precious he is if we don't actually want to talk about him? Uh, my, one of my friends, when he became a dad, uh, the first thing he did was he went outside of the hospital and yelled out to the street, I'm a dad! Because that's what you do, isn't it, when you find out some fantastic news? You can't hold it in. You've got to let it out. And if Jesus really is so good and so precious to us, then everything else, by comparison, should be rubbish. It should be garbage, right? And now, if, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you may have noticed that I haven't actually given you any reasons why Jesus is worth more than the rest of the world. Uh, it's a good point. It's true. I haven't. Uh, but that, that's because on one level, I'm wanting to do what Paul is doing here in this passage. And so you could actually have a look through the rest of the letter, particularly Philippians 2, and you'll see some of the reasons that Paul gives. And, and we'll get to a couple in a moment as well. But at one level, I just wanted to show you how worthwhile Jesus is purely on the basis of what he's worth giving up for. Because I think that's what Paul's doing. So when you think about it, Paul has given up everything. He's suffered the loss of everything. He counts it all as nothing for the sake of knowing Christ. And so have all the Christians in this room. If that doesn't testify to the worth of Christ, well, I don't know what will. And so knowing Christ, really personally knowing him, is infinitely valuable. And if you're not a Christian, well, do you want that treasure? Please do talk to someone after the service. Uh, in our last couple of minutes, though, let me also point us to a couple of reasons why Christ is such value. Why does Paul count everything else as rubbish? Well, let's take a look again at the end of verse 8. Verse eight. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. When we become Christians, we get a claim to Christ. We can rightly say, Christ is mine. And so when, when my son Kingsley was born last year, I realized how precious it, is, precious it is to be able to say, this little baby is mine. And it wasn't just me that could say it, uh, Sharon could too, obviously. She did a fair amount of the work there. <laughs> but also, so could our family. So my sisters and my, my parents, his grandparents, they could all say, this little boy belongs to me. Uh, my mum, in fact, probably took it a little bit too far. I think her colleagues were a bit confused when she was talking about her baby. Yeah. But we have that relationship with Christ. Uh, we can say Christ is ours. We have, we have a, a claim to him. And there's more to it because actually gaining Christ also means that you're found in him. Our relation with, relationship with Christ is so intimate that we are actually united with him. How fantastic is that? Because when God looks on us, 
he doesn't just see us on our own. No, he sees us as we are in Christ. And so when God looks on us, he doesn't judge us on our merits or really our lack of merits. No, he sees us as we are in Christ and he judges us on the basis of what he sees in Christ. It's on the basis of Christ's merits. And that truly is wonderful news because Christ was always faithful. And you only have to think about, what, the last hour, the last two, to remember that we are not faithful. That's what Paul explains in verse 9. Verse 9, have a look, verse 9. Paul wants to be found in him, that's in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, there's two options. We can have the righteousness of our own, the righteousness that comes from keeping the law, from being religious and doing all those good things to try and get us to God. That's the righteousness that Paul gave up in back in verse 6, though. It's not really a righteousness that we want. It's not going to get us to God. See, Paul gave it up because it didn't compare to the righteousness that comes from God. It didn't compare to being in Christ and having his righteousness attributed to us. When in the end, God calls you to account for the way that you've lived, that's what you want to have. In Christ is where you want to be. And that's why Paul wants us to know Christ. That's why he wanted to know Christ and that's why he wants us to know Christ. And that's why Paul wants to gain Christ and be found in him. That's why Paul wants to personally know Christ. That's why knowing Christ is the key to true religion. It's not about being religious. And we're always at the risk of starting to, to try and rely on our own religiosity, of relying on really any number of things to get us to God. But it's not about that. No, the only way to get to God is by giving up our own righteousness and by accepting the righteousness that comes from God by being in Christ and united with Him. Let's pray. Father, we, we do acknowledge that we so rarely see Christ as we should. Even those of us who know and love him, we know that we don't love him enough. Father, please forgive us. We pray that as you lift our eyes to see how worth, worthy he is and how much worth is in him, that we would love him all the more and that we would count knowing him as worth everything else in life. Father, please help us to seek the righteousness that comes from you rather than our own and help us to rejoice that we, through faith in Christ, can be united with him and be found in him. Amen. That's something that we need to be reminded.